Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio BK channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories... South Africa's EFF says it is ready to take over government and African petroleum producers meet in Africa, in Nigeria. In economics news, black industrialists to gain access to finance in South Africa and in sports news, South Africa and Zambia are through to the Kosafa Cup semifinals. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Moussam. The two main rival leaders in Libya have reached a joint agreement to try to bring stability to the country. After talks brokered by the French President Emmanuel Macron, head of the United Nations-backed government Faiz al-Sarraj and leader of the Libyan National Army in Eastern Libya, Khalifa Haftar, committed themselves to a conditional ceasefire. The BBC's Sebastian Usher reports. President Macron described the agreement as historic, stressing the importance of ending instability in Libya, not just for the country itself, but for Europe. The mass exodus of refugees and the rise of jihadists, including IS, just across the Mediterranean, has made it an urgent priority for European leaders. Mr Macron took little time in seizing the initiative, and the meeting between the two rivals is a diplomatic coup for him. They've agreed to a ceasefire and to try to prepare Libya for elections as soon as possible. That is certainly progress that the test will be on the ground, whether the many factions in Libya can be tamed or won over. Zimbabwe's parliament has passed a bill amending the constitution to give the president sweeping powers to appoint the country's top judges. If passed into law, the bill will give Robert Mugabe sole responsibility to appoint the chief justice and his two deputies. Under the 2013 constitution, the president could only appoint a chief justice from individuals recommended by the Judicial Services Commission and after public interviews. The opposition and civil society have expressed concern that the amendment will compromise the judiciary. Humanitarians in Syria are concerned about the deadly airstrikes reported in the besieged region of eastern Gota. Duma City and Zamalka Town in eastern Gota have also been reportedly hit, but the United Nations has not been able to verify the information. A ceasefire was announced in the besieged region on Saturday. UN Deputy Spokesperson Fahan Haq has more. The UN is concerned for the protection and well-being of the 400,000 people in eastern Ghouta with reports of people in desperate need of medicine, health, supplies, food, nutrition and other life-saving assistance. Our humanitarian colleagues also cite reports of increased fighting in several locations in Idlib governorate 
including the area around the Babal Hawa border crossing, which hosts a large number of settlements and camps for displaced people. The clashes continue to undermine the delivery of much-needed life-saving assistance through the Babal Hawa border crossing between Turkey and Syria, which has remained closed since the 19th of July, with no UN cross-border shipments having taken place since then. South Africa's Deputy Minister of Justice, John Jeffries, says government is intensifying efforts to curb human trafficking. Jeffries says legislation has been introduced to criminalize labor trafficking along with the trafficking of children. He was addressing a workshop in South Africa's coastal city of Durban. Jeffries shared concerns about the centers where sexual abuse victims are being assisted basically is a comprehensive act on human trafficking. Before human trafficking was criminalized for sexual purposes in the Sexual Offences Act and trafficking of children was criminalized in the Children's Act, this is a comprehensive bill that includes labor trafficking as well. So the key issue from government side is the implementation, ensuring the effective implementation of that act. We don't have anywhere near enough to Tuzela care centers. They are basically places where they're attached to hospitals or to clinics where people who are victims of sexual offenses, sexual crimes can go to where they can be examined, they can be treated, they can be counseled, and evidence can also be collected. The difficulty is they are expensive. And finally, the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has strongly condemned Monday's terrorist attacks carried out in two camps for internally displaced persons in northeast Nigeria. According to media reports, female suicide bombers were behind the attacks. A recent report by the UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, found that nearly one out of every five suicide bombers is a child. Jocelyn Simbira reports. Strongly condemning the attacks by suicide bombers in two displaced camps near Maiduguru in Borno State, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres called for those responsible to be brought to justice. The incidents happened on Monday in an area often targeted by Boko Haram extremists. Mr. Guterres noted that these attacks were aimed at people who had already fled their homes as a result of the violence. He extended his condolences to the people and government of Nigeria for the loss of life and wished a quick recovery to those injured. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 806 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this Wednesday, July the 26th, the 207th day of 2017, with 158 days left in the year. In our top story, former South Africa's President Khalima Mutlante has encouraged active citizenry, saying the business of politics is too important to be left to politicians alone. Mutlante was addressing a meeting of lawyers under the umbrella of public interest law being held at the University of the Western Cape. Tandiswa Mao reports. Poverty, inequality, unemployment, the land and labor questions are some of the issues that the former president touched on. He presented some preliminary findings of the high-level panel which he chairs. 
It was established by the speakers of both houses of parliament over a year ago to assess the impact of all the laws passed by the democratic parliament. Motlante says questions on land distribution and restitution dominated the hearings. This goes to show that this is the issue which demands utmost, if not urgent, attention of government. The preliminary findings of Working Group 2 include the following. Restitution has gotten conflated with redistribution, which in many instances are not benefiting the intended beneficiaries. Redistribution has, for all practical purposes, grounded to a halt due to too many incoherent policies. Motlante called on South African civil society to get involved in democratizing the country. He says democracy can only be enhanced through accountability, legislation that foster public participation and good governance. The high-level panel believes that democracy can be enhanced through active citizenship and good governance. Consequently, legislation and measures that foster public participation, accountability, access to information and good governance in general are reviewed to identify challenges with the legislation and implementation. Through our engagement over the past 17 months, the notion was reaffirmed that the business of politics is too important to be left to politicians. Motlante says the findings and recommendations of the high-level panel will be handed over to the speakers of both houses of parliament at the end of next month. He says the aim was to identify challenges in the legislation and its implementations. He says legislation found to be impending service delivery will be repealed. I'm Tandisomawi in Cape Town. It's 8.09 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Now let's go back in time to today in 1996. South Africa's Deputy Environment and Tourism Minister Bando Lomisa was dismissed after revealing that the ruling ANC received a sum of 2 million rand from former Prime Minister of the Transkei Stella Stau. Holomisa also alleged that the owner of Sun International Hotels and billionaire paid the sum of 5 million rand to secure his residence in South Africa. That was today in history in the year 1996. South Africa's opposition economic freedom fighters say it is ready to take over government following the 2019 general election because the ruling African National Congress is dead. This is according to the party leader, Julius Malema, who says his party is a better alternative. The EFF will celebrate its fourth birthday in the Guazul-Natal province this weekend, as Mbali Sibanyoni reports. It was the 29th of February 2012 when the ANC took a decision to expel party youth league leader Julius Malema, spokesperson Floyd Shivambu and suspend league secretary general Cindy Somakata from the organization. This after the trio were found guilty on charges of misconduct and sowing divisions within the party. A year later, Malema and Shivambu, alongside other disgruntled Youth League members, formed the Economic Freedom Fighters, 
It was launched on the 27th of July 2013 at the Uncle Tom's Hall in Orlando, West Soweto, with 1,200 delegates in attendance. Soon after, the party presented itself to the media in Johannesburg, where it announced Julius Malema as the party's commander-in-chief. Malema told journalists that the EFF was to be a unique revolutionary party, unlike any that had broken away from the ANC previously. We are not, uh, we are not like all of them. Um, we are not like Coop. Uh, we are not like uh, Ahang and all of them. We've got a completely different uh, 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 plan. Ours is expropriation of land without compensation. No one has spoken about that. You can't say we're like them. We want to nationalize, and those mines we nationalize, we're not going to pay for them. No one has said that. <laughs> I mean, come on, where, where are you from? I mean, you can't say we're like them. We are not like them. We are saying we are a protest movement. They are not a protest movement. The party then took part in its first general election, where it secured 25 seats in parliament after barely being in existence for a year. Last year, during the August 3 local government elections, the EFF continued to rise as it managed to garner enough seats in various municipalities, making it in numerous cases the kingmaker on how these would run. The EFF went into coalition with the DA, helping it win key metro municipalities such as Joburg, Tswane and Nelson Mandela Bay. But having made so much groundwork and changing the South African political landscape, Malema says there's still more to be done. Four years is still a, a very a, a small number and a small years for a party that is aiming at uh, having a, a huge impact in political landscape. Uh, in South Africa, but we did push. Uh, we've got presence in all uh, corners of South Africa. We now have 827 councillors uh, in the whole country. We exist in almost all, or rather, have a, a representative representatives in the 90 percent of South African municipalities, present in all legislatures, present in National Assembly and the NCOP. We've got branches all over, and uh, uh, every time there is a political development in South Africa, everyone else wants to know what is the EFF's view on this matter. So we've managed to establish a solid uh, perspective and an alternative to African people. The CIC of the party says despite breakaway parties having a bad record of poor performance, they are on the right track and have achieved more than they had anticipated. Uh, it's a huge uh, achievement. People don't trust uh, new ideas. That's why people still call Aquafresh Colgate today. It's because Aquafresh came after Colgate and therefore they can't trust that this good work done by Aquafresh is just Aquafresh. They think it's an old idea called Colgate. So new ideas, people doubt them. And that's why the EFF will always suffer from that. It is only after a long period of hard work that people will begin to appreciate that this EFF has got uh, the staying power. As the party celebrates its anniversary this weekend, Malema says they strategically chose to host the celebrations in KZN as this is where it will try to build more of a support base. Well, KwaZulu-Natal is a very difficult ground for the EFF. Uh, we're not making a progress as expected. 
both in Natal and in the Eastern Cape or in the coastal provinces. And therefore, we've taken a conscious decision to go and break a new ground in KZN. KZN is the second province, followed by Eastern Cape, in terms of uh, uh, registered voters. Number one is Gauti. Uh, so we need those voters. Four million in KZN, two million in Eteguine alone. So we need those voters, and that's why we went to KZN. But also that the ANC increases election support only in KZN. And uh, we want to destabilize that growth. Despite the EFF having had many successes so far, it was also cast into the spotlight when it expelled its commissar and MP Andilim Klitama. Another founding member who also parted ways with the movement, Kenny Kunene, says the EFF has lost its way and Malema is only interested in enriching himself. Kunene has also criticized the EFF going into a coalition with the DA. Their leadership is no longer saving that document, that manifesto that was established, that was put together by Floyd, myself, with the gentleman that was writing for us who edited it. That is no longer that manifesto. The manifesto that was launched in Soweto in 2013, that is not the manifesto that is being followed by the leadership. It is very sad. I don't care how Julius tries to spin this thing. He knows, I know, uh, Floyd knows, and many other people, that he is lost to white capital. So what is he celebrating? He is, cele- he is no longer celebrating EFF. He is celebrating his own Fed bank account that he gets at the back of EFF members. Celebrations for the EFF's fourth anniversary will take place at the Curry's Fountain Stadium in Durban on Saturday. Ambali Sibanyoni in Johannesburg. South Africa's ad hoc committee on funding of political parties has received a total of 16 submissions from, among others, civil society and political parties on the matter since the deadline expired on Monday. Civil society organizations, the public and political parties made submissions on how they think political parties should be funded. The ad hoc committee was established to investigate how political parties represented in national and provincial legislatures should be funded. The aim is to promote transparency and accountability. Zeline Merrington reports. The Independent Electoral Commission must be capacitated to deal with private funding and a fund must be established into which all private donations can be deposited and shared. These are some of the submissions from civil society groups such as Right to Know, My Vote Counts and the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution. The organization My Vote Counts has unsuccessfully challenged Parliament in court in 2015 to put in place legislation to govern the funding of political parties. In its written submission to the Ad Hoc Committee, the organization calls for regular disclosure of donations in both election and non-election years. On foreign funding, it suggests that no direct funding may be made to parties, but rather that a fund should be established into which money is deposited and shared among all parties. It also calls for the IEC to be capacitated so that it can deal with public funding more effectively. A submission by Right to Know also calls for the empowerment of the IEC. On private funding, it calls for quarterly disclosure reports, a ban on donations from private companies doing business with the state, and a ban on parties' investment arms. 
The Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, CASAC, says it supports increased public funding to support capacity building and policy development. CASAC wants a cap on donations from one source, and it is also in favor of establishing a multi-party democracy fund to receive anonymous and foreign donations above a particular amount. Amzeline Merrington at Parliament. It's 8.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in the year 1952. King Farouk I of Egypt abdicated in the wake of a coup led by Hamal Abdel Nasser. That was today in history in the year 1952. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. The organization Undoing Tax Abuse says Eskom owes South Africans a massive refund for increasing electricity costs while borrowing excessively to build Midupi and Kusile power stations. The organization says the costs for the construction of the two power stations initially pegged at 90 billion rand have ballooned to 1 trillion rand. Alta and other two civil society organizations were briefing the Oversight Committee on Public Enterprises as it prepares to probe governance issues at ESCOM. Dula Mamatya has more. The organization Undoing Tax Abuse, the South African Council of Churches, and the Public Affairs Research Institute believe that there's compelling evidence indicating state of capture. Outa outlined what it calls the unusual appointment of an ESCOM board member and the Director General for Public Enterprises, Mohokare Sileke. The organization alleges that over the last 10 years, the power utility has ripped off South Africans for the construction of Medupi and Kusile power stations, and the price of electricity needs to decrease. It claims to have evidence which indicates that the load shedding which the country experienced in recent years was self-inflicted by ESCOM. Outer's investigator Rudy Heineke elaborates. So not only have they taken the money from our pockets, they've indebted our nation to the tune of over 350 billion rand for the same assets. If we add all that excess money together, we get over a trillion rand, Madam Chair. The assets were only supposed to cost 90 billion rand. I think Eskom owes us a massive refund, Madam Chair. To stop this nonsense, I'm going to ask this committee to investigate and to advise NERSA that the price, given that Eskom has now over-recovered more than 10 times the amount of money that they should have for these assets, that the operating price of electricity 
goes back to where it should have been had Eskom been operated efficiently and that we immediately revert to a price of under 30 cents a kilowatt hour. The South African Council of Churches has also revealed that it was opposed to the nuclear power model because, among other things, it was prone to corruption. The Western Cape High Court earlier in the year ruled that the process followed was unlawful and unconstitutional. The SACC's Bishop Malu Simpumlwana says churches were concerned about safety deposit of nuclear waste in the country, the high cost of nuclear compared to renewable energy as well as environmental impact. He says they were also concerned about the procurement process. And thirdly, the secretive manner in which the whole procurement process is managed, a situation through which corruption thrives. However, this third and the last of these concerns seems to have claimed pole position, to use the Formula One language, as research as well as just putting together what is already in the public domain would suggest. The Public Affairs Research Institute says some state institutions have been used to achieve state capture. The institute says the National Treasury has been under tremendous pressure to deviate from procurement processes and has been seen as an obstacle by others. Professor Ivo Chipkin of the institute says there are also attempts to violate the Constitution. Is what you see in this turn away from the Constitution and a sense that constitutional is an obstacle to radical economic transformation and so is the law, it creates a general environment for illegality and growing criminalization. And what you start seeing from that period on is a growing, growing illegality in the way in which state-owned enterprises are, are behaving. EFF Chief Whip Floyd Shibambu has suggested that both President Jacob Zuma and Finance Minister Malusi Gigaba be called as witnesses into the state of capture inquiry into ESCOM. Shibambu has accused the NPA of failing to investigate numerous criminal cases opened by political parties and civil society organizations regarding state capture. Shibambu says Parliament must not shy away from calling those at the center of looting state-owned companies. We must not ignore the fact that there are political protagonists in all these phenomena. And, and uh, we won't be able to resolve this if we do not call these political protagonists by name. That the president of the ANC is at the center of this crisis of looting of our state-owned companies. So Mr. Jacob Zuma is at the center of the looting of state-owned companies by the Gupta-linked criminal syndicate and mafia. And that must be said like that. And he utilizes uh, the Malusi Gigabas and uh, all of them to run around in the project of looting state-owned companies. The committee says its list of witnesses has not been finalized and will be amended as time goes on. Its next meeting will be communicated later. Lula Mamaya in Parliament. 
The family of the late South African President Nelson Mandela has called on the executors of his estate to get to the bottom of controversy surrounding the publication of a book called Mandela's Lost Years. The book, which was authored by Mandela's doctor Vijay Ramlakan, had to be pulled off shelves just days after it was published. This is after his widow Grasa Machel threatened legal action against Ramlakan, arguing the book breached patient doctor confidence. Amos Pajo has more. The Mandela family has expressed its unequivocal support for Nelson Mandela's widow, Grasa Machel, following her objection to further distribution of the book. Mandela's grandson, Chief Mandela Mandela, says they welcome and applaud a decision of the publishing company Penguin Random House South Africa to withdraw the book. He says Machel's concerns are warranted. Doctors by oath are sworn uh, to secrecy or privacy of uh, their clients' uh, details and information. Uh, we would therefore want uh, Matiba's entrusted men, uh, such as George Bezos, Judge Musaneke, and Judge Sangon, to look into this matter and advise uh, Umam Nosizwe accordingly. Mandela says they also want clarity on claims that some family members authorized the publication of the book. This uh, has left a number of questions uh, that uh, we as a family need to look into. Particularly, there's an allegation that uh, the Mandela family member authorized this book to be published. We want to understand in terms of transparency, who is this person? that uh, authorized such a book to be published, talking about the details of uh, Madiba's uh, last days uh, in the treatment he received. However, the recall has sparked huge interest among book enthusiasts. Following news of the recall, book outlets experienced last-minute rush as readers scrambled to grab their copies. Kate Rogan owns a bookshop in Melville, north of Johannesburg. Well, obviously, I think there was a lot of um, interest around what really happened in Mandela's last days. Um, there's been, you know, ever since he died, there's been talk of... He died a couple of days before and they just kept his body and until they'd released the news. There's always been a bit of mystery around it, you know, kind of just talk. Um, So I think obviously there was interest in what really happened, that whole story around the ambulance. Yeah, I think people really want to know what really happened. Uh, We got the book in about 10 days ago and there's been a bit of interest, but not much. It It was not flying out of my shop, I have to say. Um, but the news broke that Penguin Random House had decided to pull the stock and we sold all of our copies in a flash, literally. They're gone. The book was released last week to coincide with the late global icon's birthday on July 18th, which is commemorated annually throughout the world as Mandela Day. Brand specialist Tebe Ikalafeng says the controversy has not dented the Mandela brand. Well, I think the furor about the book itself, you know, the reaction of people, the family, uh, the citizens about the books just goes to show how people really love Mandela, the person, Mandela, the brand. And all that is happening now is you are seeing the country and the people who love him protective around his legacy because the person and the brand that we know is not a fragile person, is a heroic uh, African leader. So what we want to preserve and what the family wants to preserve is that image that everybody has of Mandela.
Mandela's executors have released a statement saying they are seeking a legal opinion on the matter and also intend to lodge a formal complaint with the South African National Defence Force over unlawful conduct of one of its employees who was charged with Mandela's medical care as well as another complaint with the Health Professionals Council. I'm Amos Power in Johannesburg. It's 8.31 and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines, the two main rival leaders in Libya have reached a joint agreement to try to bring stability to the country. Zimbabwe's parliament passes a bill amending the constitution to give the president sweeping powers to appoint the country's top judges and Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari's to return to his official duties as soon as doctors advise that he can end his medical leave. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you. And an attorney specializing in medical law says a medical practitioner can divulge patient information, but only if it's factually correct and in the public interest. Adele van der Valt was reacting to accusations that retired South African Defense Force Surgeon General Dr. Vijay Ramlakan broke doctor-patient confidentiality in his book, Mandela's Last Years. Ramlakan's publisher, Penguin Random House, has withdrawn the book in the face of threatened legal action by Mandela's widow, Grasha Machel. Van der Valt has told Prabashni Mudli that there are certain exceptions to the rule. We've got a general rule that is now the doctor-patient relationship. There's definitely confidentiality with regards to content of information disclosed or discussed by the patient with a practicing doctor, as well as any further diagnosis the doctor could have made or further diagnostic tests. However, there's also an exception to the rule. If that content of the information becomes relevant with regards to general public or safety of public or knowledge of public, the factual basis needs to be considered when it becomes justified to disclose that information. So the angle from this side, from the practicing doctor that disclosed information will be the people that approached him and for what reason it is. He will most probably have obtained legal advice to see whether it's justified to make the information available, maybe from a public point of view, from a political point of view. And if it's so that late President Mandela clinically passed on earlier, surely there's also other legalities that need to follow. So to be able to answer accurately whether this doctor was entitled to make it available, one needs to have regard to the factual basis of the information with which he was approached and what he had to consider. In this particular incident then, do you think that the information revealed in the book about Nelson Mandela's sickness and information about his health, was it necessary for the public to know? The the medical fraternity and the legal fraternity goes hand in hand. On one hand, the specialized information, the medical information, needs to be considered to see what happened with this information and how it was managed or communicated and that that will then have bearing 
on the legal basis or the legalities and whether they were entitled to disclose it. So it's a bit more complex just to say yes or no, the factual basis on that specific medical information at that specific stage and how it was managed and later on needs to be considered. Former President Nelson Mandela's wife, Igrasa Michelle, is considering suing Dr. Ramlikan in this instance for the information published in the book. Does she have grounds to do so? One has to consider all the information that was published or disclosed and to see whether there's factual accuracy on that information and whether it was in the public's interest to know that. It's like defamation of character. The first thing that you have to consider is whether it's factually correct and whether it's in public interest to disclose that information. So it will be in important for somebody to advise her whether she does have grounds to pursue and what such claim entails, because the cost may be more than a possible claim. With a public figure like late President Nelson Mandela, the public will have a lot of regard to his life and his legacy, and I think the circumstances need to be considered before any ruling can be made or advice can be given on the legal basis. As an attorney specialising in medical law, Adele van der Waal, speaking to Prabashni Moodley. It's 8.36 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1996. Swimmer Amy van Dyke became the first American woman to win four gold medals at a single Olympics as she captured the 50-meter freestyle in Atlanta. That was today in history in the year 1996. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa, najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Nigeria's acting president Yemi Osinbajo has expressed Nigeria's full support for the reform process that will enable the African Petroleum Producers Organization, APO, to rise up fully and adapt to the changing global realities and a global economic order. Osinbajo was addressing ministers of oil-producing countries in Africa that are meeting in Abuja this week to consider diversification of the industry. Collins Atohengbe reports from Lagos. Petroleum, which is a plum raw material for world development, has suffered unprecedented drop in price, leading to substantial reduction in the foreign earnings for oil producers, particularly in Africa, a situation which has resulted in a banned wagon failure in development initiative. The gathering was called by Nigeria, which has been witnessing a steady decline in foreign earnings 
a situation which resulted in economic recession of which it has been struggling to arise. The main idea is to chart a common path on how to tend the oil industry so that the instability of oil market will not continue to hold the economies of Africa's oil producing countries as it has in the last three years. Declaring the conference open, Nigeria's acting president says there must be a combination of ideas by both the legislative and executive arms of African governments if the expected goal of reversing the state of event as they are is to be reached. Combining executive and legislative action to create a sector that is more efficient, more transparent, and more attractive to domestic and foreign investment. In Nigeria, we're making progress in fine-tuning and implementing our local content policy. While giving vent to the Nigerian Vice President's call, the Executive Secretary of African Petroleum Producers Organization, Mahaman Gaya, says model energy in reference to renewable energy like solar, has become indispensable for development, which means Africa oil producers must, of necessity, diversify. Today, an African consumes an average of 0.4 ton oil equivalent. This paradox must challenge us all because no economy can develop without this fundamental factor, which is modern energy. To make this difference, and in good time too, Nigeria's Deputy Oil Minister Ibe Kachiku says attention should be given to African market for optimum utilization for the overall benefit of the continent instead of the present practice of dependence on sources outside of the continent. We need to begin to look at the African market and how they can enlarge it, expand it, make it robust and yet protect it so that uh, those of us who play in that market will be able to have a first opportunity to utilize that market. Raj Kulasingam, an energy expert and petroleum market analyst, says while the low price of crude remains unchanged, diversification is the next option for Africa even as oil producers may need to consider lowering prices for maximum gain. So the reality is that I think we are today faced with a new global paradigm where we're probably going to be in a low oil price position for, for some foreseeable future. If you accept that prices are going to be low, there's only two things you can do. You can A, reduce your costs so that you actually get your costs below the price of oil so that you actually make a profit, or B, you diversify. And when I'm talking about diversification, I'm talking about diversification on so many different levels, both from a corporate perspective and also from a, from a government perspective. So if countries can diversify out of oil, this is the time. This is the second meeting of African Oil Producers Organization since 2016 to discuss effect of the drop in the price of crude and a view to diversifying both the oil market and product as well as concentrating on meeting African need under the continent's economic integration program. The meeting which has moved into its plenary session is being attended by all producing countries in Africa which include Ghana, Angola, Burkina Faso, Kenya, Libya and the host nation Nigeria. This meeting is holding at a time when OPEC is also meeting with the Russian authorities over issues of pricing, overproduction and glut in the market. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Atohengwe for Channel Africa News. Government leaders and stakeholders in ICT have called on African youth to lead the way in the continent's development efforts. A call was made in the Rwandan capital, Kigali, at the wrap of, continental, of a continental gathering that had brought together more than 2,000 youth from Africa and abroad. Silvanus Karamera reports from Kigali. 
The young people were reminded that by the year 2050, the world will need a lot more employment opportunities and that 18 million new positions must be created every year from now. The conference was attended by youth from 90 countries across the globe. Officials attending the Youth Connect Africa Summit, like Akinumi Adesna, who heads the African Development Bank, noted that in three decades, the continent will have up to 850 million youth living on it which is why job creation now is critical. The most important thing for Africa right now is to make sure that it can create jobs for a lot of its youth. If you take a look at the number of youths in Africa, it will rise to 850 million people by 2050. So the African Development Bank has taken a bold step. We've launched what is called Jobs for Africa's Youth with a bold goal of helping African countries to create 25 million jobs in the next 10 years and also to help to impact 50 million people. There are three key things that have to be done to do that. First is focus on agriculture. Secondly, is the importance to focus on ICT. And the third thing that we are doing at the African Development Bank is to recognize that we must support women. And that's why we have launched what's called the Affirmative Finance Action for Women with the goal of mobilizing $3 billion for businesses of, of women all across Africa. Rwanda's Minister of Youth and ICT, Jean Philibert Nsengimana, says he is confident Africa's youth are going to be at the forefront of development on the continent. There is a big excitement about the possibility of meeting successfully the great challenges uh, that Africa is, uh, is facing. Youth Connect allows us to put youth inside. So let's put youth at the center of everything that we are doing so that they bring their energy, they bring their smartness, they bring their innovation, they bring their uh, ambition. There is no challenge that Africa is facing today that we, can, we cannot surmount. And the first challenge we chose to tackle this morning is the challenge of youth unemployment. The numbers are staggering, but the ability that we have to meet that big challenge with, with resources, with ingenuity, with uh, innovation, smartness, entrepreneurship, and growing our enterprises are also great. The potential is limitless. So we are going to walk the talk after this conference. The founder of Alibaba Group, a Chinese successful businessman, has just provided a good news for African youth by investing hugely in the human capital. We, we would invest more on human capital, on training the entrepreneurs, uh, enable the small business, especially young people. So we will, we will first start on the human capital side and uh, enable the, uh, the SMEs here to build up the infrastructure for e-commerce and internet in Africa. We don't have a specific plan for how much we'll invest in Africa. This is my learning experience this trip. And I think our team and delegation getting more and more excited. I think uh, uh, after these two days, we will have a sit-down discussion. Youth that attended the summit have been discussing the challenges Africa has to deal with, especially those preventing its young people from developing the young people also in this conference showcase the innovations in technology and business that can provide solutions to the African problems. Silvanus Kalemera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Thanks, Balungile. 
South Africa's Public Investment Corporation says that the country remains at risk of further credit rating downgrades given the sluggish growth and a lack of confidence in the economy. This was the response from Finance Minister Madusi Kigaba to a written parliamentary question. Kigaba says that the PIC had also warned that South Africa risked exclusion from the World Government Bond Index if all credit ratings agencies were to downgrade the domestic credit rating to below investment grade. South Africa's record maize harvest this year is expected to double last year's yield after good weather boosted production. The Crop Estimates Committee is expected to peg the harvest at 15.7 million tonnes, up 103% from the 7.7 million tonnes last year when an El Nino triggered drought hit yield and plantings. The 2017 crop will surpass the previous record of 14 million tons set in 1981. South Africa's Department of Trade and Industry and First National Bank have signed a pledge to improve access to finance for black industrialists. The pledge was signed in Johannesburg on Wednesday. South Africa's Trade and Industry Minister Rob Davies says the partnership will see the two entities share information regarding various products offered by the department. This is going to be, people initially are going to get information about one of our incentives, which is the black industrials. You can go and look on the DTI website, but uh, the customers can look on the on the FMB website as well. But eventually I can I can see this moving in a, in a bigger direction where we can start to actually collaborate on saying, you know, look here, here's a, someone who's gone through a black industrialist program. We've uh, seen this person as worthwhile investing in. What about yourselves? Because the financial institutions are also supposed to be providing credit and uh, various uh, financial services to uh, some of their clients, including their clients who are involved in manufacturing in the productive sector. So I think we're looking to see where this takes us, but at the moment it's, it's around uh, information sharing. Botswana aims to resolve a dispute with Norris Nickel next month over a failed deal in which the country's BCL mine was to buy the Russian firms a 50% stake in Zinkomati mine. Botswana's Mineral Resources Minister Sadiq Kubanu says due diligence and valuation exercises are being carried out to establish the value of Zinkomati assets as a basis for negotiating a commercially acceptable solution to the parties involved. Kenya's low export levels and increased imports of cheap goods in the major, is the major cause of slow economic growth in the country. The 2017 Kenya Economic Report cites Kenya and India as the major countries exporting cheap products to Kenya. The report further states that with all investments within the country, the GDP growth can only grow up by 6.6% in 2020. The U.S. dollar trades at $13 in South Africa. It's at 10.6 in Botswana and at 8.79 in Zambia. 0.76 to the British pound, 0.85 to the euro. Gold $1,246, platinum $925 an ounce, brand crude $50.57 a barrel. Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati.
First up in a sports update this hour, we begin with the aquatics, that's athlete, uh, swimming. South Africa's perennial medal hopefuls, Chad Leclerc and Cameron van der Berg, will challenge for the country's first medals at the FINA World Championships in Budapest, Hungary, after advancing to their respective finals. Defending 200-meter butterfly champion Laszlo She struck an early psychological blow when he surged over the final lap to touch the wall first in his heat against Leclerc. She posted the fastest time of the preliminary rounds, clocking 1 minute 54.08 seconds with Leclerc time of 1 minute 55.90, ranking him fifth after the morning hits. Leclerc will have quite the battle on his hands to reclaim the title he conceded to She two years ago. London 2012 Olympic champion Van der Berg marched into the final of the 50-meter breaststroke where he will be in line for his sixth consecutive World Championship medal. Showing age-defying form, Van der Berg posted a career best and a new South African and continental record in the morning heats when he hit the wall in a time of 26.54 seconds. In football news, South African national under-17 team Amachimbos have progressed to the semi-finals of the Kosafa under-17 championship after coming from behind to beat Madagascar 5-3 in the last game of Group B at Stade Francois Xavier in Mauritius yesterday afternoon. Head coach Munifinzeki looks back at how his team gave away a 2-0 lead in the first half. It was a very nice display of football for junior, for junior team. Junior football, I think uh, both teams played very well, and uh, you could see that uh, these are youngsters because if you look at the mistakes each one of them was making uh, from each team, one could really tell that uh, it's um, uh, junior junior players with uh, playing in the junior teams. So I was very impressed with um, how uh, the whole game was panned out uh, because um, if you look at it. Um, they started very well. Um, they almost got a goal very early, uh, which was a bit of a concern for us. Uh, but I think uh, our, our boys did very well because uh, from those critical moments of the game, we ended up getting um, the first goal and then the second goal came in. And um, as always uh, with, uh, with junior players, the concentration levels will always drop in critical moments. In cricket news, the Proteas bestman Hashim Amla hopes for a repeat of history in the third test match against England starting at the Oval tomorrow. It is almost five years to the day of Amla's record-breaking innings of 311, a marathon 13-hour masterclass that steered the Proteas to an innings and a 12-run win in 2012. And in, now we're looking at what's happening in boxing. Reigning IBO junior bantamweight champion Gideon Butelezi has other thoughts about Filipino boxer Ryan Ponderas, whom he meets in a title defense at the East London International Convention Center, South Africa's Eastern Cape Province, on Friday. No, I, I don't know much about uh, about Ponteras. I've I, I never seen his fights and that. But then I assume as he's from Philipp, uh, is he also from Philippines. He's, uh, he's a he's a forward fighter. His his body structure is, he actually hasn't struck me as a as a, as, a, as, a, as someone who's fit who's fit for a fight and that. But then you never know. Looks sometimes can be deceiving. But then the thing is, I'm fit. I'm ready for the fight. He won't. He, he won't be able to take that belt for me. I mean, he must just take it as a vacation coming here to South Africa for the first time. Free food, free flights, and that. You know, just enjoy the view as well as he's still here. Because like, he's not gonna. He's not gonna go back as a champion. He's gonna go back empty-handed as he came. That's the sport news this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Recapping our top stories in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa, South Africa's EFF says it's ready to take over government and African petroleum producers meet in Nigeria. That wraps up Africa rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magaza and Elizabeth Lidicha, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277 Six nine five seven nine three zero, or send us a WhatsApp message on two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency seven two three zero kilohertz on the forty one meter band to Southern Africa is Davido with a song titled "If." If I tell you, say I love you, oh. my money, my body, now your own, oh baby. Party billion for the account, yo. Hey, Versace and Gucci for your body, yo, baby. No do, no do, no do, gotta, gotta for me. No do, no do, no do, say that, My number one in tutu Sipping bruku tutu For your love it tutu I go tuki tuku tuku Biko obya nuju Say you do me juju Cause I'm feeling the juju Shake it to you I wanna dash it to you You can have it to you You know I got this in you I love you, I love you I love you, I love you, I love you. There's nothing above you. There's nothing above you, above you, above you. Reject you. I like your mini skirt, you. Okay, you carry fast, you. If I tell you, I love you, oh. My money, my body, now your own, oh, baby. Thirty billion for the account, you. Versace and Gucci. For your body, oh baby. No do, no do, no do, gotta, gotta for me. No do, no do, no do, say that I No do, no do, no do, shakara, oh eh. No do, no do, no do, gotta, gotta for me, oh eh. Yeah, yeah, beauty, beauty. My number one in tutu. Sipping bruku tutu. For your love, it's too I go chuku chuku chuku. Biko obya nuju. Say you do me juju. Cause I'm feeling the juju. And you know, say nobody only. But I don't go tell you story. I gotta be your man. I gotta be your man. Let me talk to you. Say a few things. Then I'm feeling you. But it's up to you. Say you know what I did. I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. There's nothing above you. There's nothing above you, above you, above you. Be jetty, yeah. I like your mini skirt, yeah.
Yeah, you carry fancy, oh. If I tell you, say I love you, oh. My money, my body, now your own, oh, baby. Thirty billion for the account, yo. Yeah, Versace and Gucci for your body, oh, baby. No do, no do, no do, gotta, gotta for me. Mix monster. 